shit Anything to shake this But I'm in my butt But things got me drinking Back at it again with another episode of the Shades of Blue Soccer Show I'm Cody Bradley, Thad Bell, Robert Russert and David Greenwald are all here. David's muted because he's dealing with the child, as always. I love it. Spider-Man just made an appearance in the Zoom. It's a good start tonight. <laughs> Born in Kansas City, still on fire, still eliminated from the postseason. <laughs> but you can't uh, uneliminate. <laughs> it always feels good making uh, Seattle Sounders fans uh, feel bad. Now, though. I do have a complaint to log. Can I log a complaint? Yes, go ahead. Before the game, sporting players were way too friendly to Sounders players on the field before kickoff. It's like they were shaking hands. They had their arms around each other. I'm like, what is going on here? I, I don't approve. I didn't notice that. They're all professionals. All right. I think I'll allow <laughs> it for them. Them, they can be professional as long as they beat them in the game. We are the, the whistle blows, man. Out. It changes. Yeah. So I actually have a space in between you two. I'm mostly fine with it, except for Will Bruin, because screw that guy. Yes, yes. Everyone can get behind that one. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of connections to Seattle, though. Even though the fans hate them, the players have dealt with a lot of them. So yeah, yeah. I mean, Jimmy Madrand is there. Precky's there. Beautiful part of the country. I need to explore. Yes, that in Portland. Sad to say, but yes. Yes, definitely. Uh, okay. Yeah. So. Sporting Kansas City are, uh, are wrapping things up this weekend against FC Dallas. And it a bit of a woulda, coulda, shoulda situation. It should be a it could be a massive day for Sporting Kansas City to maybe sneak into the playoffs. Uh, we were just talking about the a tweet from Mike McGrew where uh, he pointed out the the only loss for Sporting Kansas City since July 30 was the the heartbreaker in Austin in which they gave up two late goals and and lost three points just like that. And if they had not done that, all they would need is a win from a win this weekend against Dallas and then for uh, Vancouver to win against who? Somebody. No, fellow <laughs> uh, yeah, then yeah, uh, they needed they need Vancouver to beat somebody, or they would have needed Vancouver to beat somebody. So anyway, what it could have shoulda, but it made me wonder if there are any other you know the fine lines that we have had this season, how close they came to actually clawing back here. I'm wondering if there are any other defining moments that you guys uh, remember, that anything that sticks out from this year that had that one goal not got in, or had that one guy not tripped, or or uh, the ball not gone between Pulse Camp's legs if uh, if Sporting Kansas City would have made it this season. Or maybe not even that. How about just a, an especially tough moment that has stood oh, out this year? One that Jose just- Mowry versus Atlanta? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, Jose Mowry. Yes, just trotting around the field and then never to be seen again after that one game. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a pretty far reach back, man. Yeah. I We watched that game at my house. It was... Yes, miserable. It was miserable. It was all your fault. Oh, we did. I forgot about that. We all gathered and watched that together at David's house. That was fun. <laughs> well, how about the seven-two loss to Portland? That was not a high point. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Should we have beaten them at all, though, or is it just the fact that they that we really got driven into the ground that makes that one that makes that one hurt? Yeah, I, I guess don't know if we should have beaten them, but yeah, getting driven into the ground is not good. They are uh they are right on the on the line as well, but they're sneaking in, it looks like. 
I think they're I think they're going to be the last team in or probably. Yeah. Well, we could talk about team defense overall in just that whole first period. I mean, I did this stat tonight. I looked it up. Right now, we're at 41 goals for, 52 goals against. Hmm. Take away September, October, and August games. Back when we had 24 games played, we were at 19 goals for and 42 against. So that's a 23, negative 23 goal differential. Now we're only a negative 11. That's just amazing difference in those games. Right. And take out that one game against Portland and we're right there. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, the, the losses that stick with me and I think are more frustrating, you know, it's one thing to lose to LAFC. They won the shield. They're an awesome team. Um, even with Garrett Bale, but uh, losing to teams like Colorado, losing to Chicago three to one, like getting pounded by Chicago who I haven't looked at the standings today. Are they going to get the spoon? Are they the worst team or is it DC? I have not checked the most recent, but I mean, regardless, they're, they're hot garbage. Um, it's losing to the bad teams. I think that is more frustrating drawing teams like San Jose, because those are the margins of making the playoffs or not making the playoffs. You know, everybody loses to LA. Everybody's going to lose to Nashville and, you know, I guess on the road, uh, if Nashville's on the road, they don't win that much at home, but losing to Seattle at Seattle on that God awful turf that's all fine and dandy, but getting pounded by Chicago is a real, it's real tough to make the playoffs if you do that. Yeah. We had back to back losses to Colorado and then we lost to Chicago. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that was one of those. We, the following week we did the, is this a low point of the season (laughs) (laughs) after the Chicago one? No, David, you mentioned the Gareth Bale goal and yeah, that's a valid point. Gareth. Yes, Garrett. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry. I, d- I don't want to disrespect the player by saying his name wrong. <laughs> uh, you want to disrespect yeah, him I, in other ways. <laughs> yes, I'm. Yes, uh, I would. That one does stick out to me, though, just because the ease with which it was done, the what it meant, how other teams were so far beyond what our team was, so that the way he just strolled down and put that ball into the back of the net it just symbolized how far away that our team was from being good. And yes, that one, that's the first one that comes to my mind of a, of at least one particular goal that hurt the most. Yeah. It's interesting. You say it that way though, because that was the, the prevailing sentiment at that time was how far away sporting is from being good, but they were really one or two players away from being decent to good. I mean, since those two players came in that we've talked about so much, They've been supporter shield winning pace. I mean, obviously they're nowhere close to that, but that pace uh, that they were over, on over two points a game. Right. So from the, the tweet we were just talking about, uh, he also added in there that at one point they were when they were at um, 20 points. And so in the last nine games, they've gained exactly 20 points. So if you're over two points a game, yes, that, that does put you on, on supporter shield pace. And, and yeah, that's a valid point of, you know, how close they were, how far they were from being good. Well, they got two players and they were great. So yes, it was probably just one player. They were away from just being decent or having something figured out. Yeah. That makes the open cup semifinal point even more valid because Tommy and Agata both played in that game, but they didn't play together, but that loss was, was a tough one to take. I mean, we could have been in the final should have been. No, that was still early when when they were 
early in being here and not right, very right. in sync yet, but right. And playing a lot for guys who had not been full training for a while. Yeah. That was one. I mean, like that was like their second game, right. Or something. It was right at yeah. the beginning. Right. There. Yeah. Yeah. That one hurt just because we were clinging on to so much for that one. We uh, was all, all the lower division team. I mean, you know, come on guys. <laughs> yeah. The lower division team that wiped out a couple of MLS teams along the way. So before, yeah, sporting, but we still so. should have won. Come on, Dad. <laughs> hey, give credit where credit is due. They were good. We can't score one goal against the lower division team. Come on. Not if they're organized, playing at home <laughs> in front of. I mean, and the stop short easy. of the crowd, crowd size there because it's yeah. like what thousand. I think it was a record crowd for them. Yeah, ten thousand maybe. Yeah, I mean, 10, okay. yeah, but but here's the thing though: is that like there's there's something to be said for playing a motivated game in front of your home fans. There's a lot on the line, you know, it's not like they were playing a high school team. So you guys are saying that was a high point of the season. I thought the idea was low points here. Sorry. No, The high point of the season was beating Seattle and knocking them out of the playoffs and watching Albert Rusnak cry. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So there was real Sounders tears on the pitch. That's sad. There was a lot of footage of Rusnak laying on the ground, arm over his face, and you could see him crying. Man, I missed that. I must have turned the game. Yeah, off. send me send me that link, man. Okay. Inject I mean, that. I'm, I mean, I'm usually not cruel, but yeah, I would really not mind seeing that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Burmese recently just had some interesting comments here. I'm taking. He, he was on the program with Soren Petro. I'm taking one comment he made about finding a third striker, going and getting a third striker, as all but confirmation that Kyrie Shelton is is no longer going to be with the team. Why would he be speaking of going and getting a third striker if Kyrie Shelton was going to be around? Maybe he doesn't count Kyrie as a striker anymore. (laughs) There you go. Okay. Yes, that's a that's a reach there. Quite a pivot he would have had to have made last week. <laughs> well, kind of yes, but kind of no. It's um, it's been interesting when he's been asked about you know the turnaround and all that stuff, and he goes, "Well, it's what happens when you get a ten and when you get an actual nine. Well, that's been obviously all year he's been defending Kyrie whenever he's been asked about it, but that was pretty much a slam, a little bit of a slam right there when he goes, "Well, when you get an actual nine, you know, then you can play better." I was interested in the idea that we might be able to buy down Gatikinda and add a new designated player. Well, he also said that they could add a fourth designated player without like without getting rid of any of the the three that we currently have. I, I assume that does mean that they were going to going to buy one of them down. But well, so, or go ahead. Dad, go or ahead. um or that one of them has a uh front-loaded contract in some way shape or form so Gotti could have had a I've been told that you can't do this but I've been told you can do this so I I don't honestly know but that you could front load the the uh, the transfer fee into a, a, like over the first two years of a contract or something um and then the other one would be Johnny you could have front-loaded his salary up front and then let it dry uh lower as the years go by because his wasn't in his was not a transfer fee in that contract so one of those two could be the person that he's talking about 
Right. And so uh, if you go to the bluetestament.com, where many of us write, but not Cody, uh, Chad Smith has an article about the mechanisms and the ways in which Gotti could potentially be the one to, bo- to be bought down. I don't know if he references um, Johnny, but then also in our Slack group uh, today, uh, a rival podcaster who will not be named, who also writes on the <laughs> site more than Cody, uh, mentioned, sent a link to uh, a tweet from AS uh, Football, uh, and it's in Spanish, but the translation is that with the new Apple TV contract, there's the chance that they're going to open up another DP spot, that there's going to be some sort of influx of cash, and potentially the league's going to add a fourth DP spot. Yeah, so well, I, I clicked onto the on this article, and just to clarify, it's not necessarily like a rumor that this might be happening. It was, they're referencing something an official from the LA Galaxy said is a possibility that with more money coming in, that this would be something that would maybe make sense for them to do is what is how I took it. I don't, yeah. I'm, I just don't want to like get too far ahead of this as just some, some report like of, of a quick quote they got from some guy that works for the LA galaxy. Yeah. It sounded, it sounded more speculation on that person's part because when the team, when the league has got more money in, they've done stuff like that hasn't happened yet. So. Yes, and, and leaving to the LA Galaxy to be at the forefront of that and knowing about yeah. when maybe another another DP spot might be added. Well, Lord knows they need the help. I read an article on American Soccer Analysis about the Apple contract last night, and according to them, there's really not a significant amount of money being added through the Apple deal as opposed to the previous deal, the way it breaks down, but uh, we'll see. Isn't it that it, there's more per year, but the but MLS has to put out more in order to like do the broadcasts Production and all that and stuff. Like that. Yeah. So like the first couple of years, there's probably a big startup amount, and then they they would the league should earn more money per year after that, like that first two years. Yeah. I didn't read that article, but just going off of what I've read before and and talk to people, that's my understanding. So I wouldn't expect a big influx in that first year or two, right? So if we were to add a new DP, if we were able to buy somebody down, what position do you want to see a DP at? We've had this discussion before a little bit, right? And I think we have a disagreement. Some of us think center back, some of us think a six. Um, So I would go with a six myself. Yeah, I think I'm leaning on a six. I said, I think if we actually had the the conversation of, who we need the most. I don't know if that's the same as where we should get a DP, but uh, I was, I think I was leaning on, on center back as being a bigger need, but um, if we're getting a DP, I want to, I want a fancy number six. Like what's a fancy number six. (laughs) You have a person in mind. No, but that's not my job. That is not my department. Well, Cody, let me, let me ask you what what type of six do you want? I mean, do you want a Barcelona style, Ilya Vintageri? You know, the guy who's gonna break the lines with passing, or do you want like a Diego Chara, like ankle breaking destroyer? What kind of six do you want? No, I want I want nothing like Diego Chara. I want the opposite of Diego Chara always. Anything Diego Chara like, I want nothing of. That's Yuri. <laughs> Uh, that's Ilya. Give me Ilya at least. Prime Ilya. Or Iniesta. That's that's more Iniesta. He's not he wasn't a he wasn't an ankle breaker. 
So you well, came I was up watching a... the Sounders, the Sporting Sounders game again before our podcast here tonight, making notes on certain things. And Research. Eric Tommy yeah. is not a defensive midfielder in any way, shape, or form. He not, doesn't shut down crosses. He doesn't track back. Remy Voltaire is not a very strong tackler. I've looked at the stats on it as well. He covers a lot of ground, but he's not the greatest tackler in the world. And, uh, you know, Roger still. I think we decided the... he was. Yeah, yeah Roger sorry, is still we the decided best tackler on the team, him, but... But... Yeah. So, I mean, I would want somebody who can certainly tackle, someone who can read the game, uh, position himself a little bit better, uh, to slow counterattacks down. Um, those would be my first criteria. Well, it's actually a valid point about if we need a bruiser or not, because if Roger Espinoza is leaving the midfield, if he walked off the field at Children's Mercy Park for the for the last time last weekend, then maybe we do need that in there. Maybe if maybe we do need a, a, the bruiser in there. But um, I, I still think, yeah, I, I still think we need I, I want a passer. I want somebody pulling strings and, and, and running the game from back there, a maestro. If you go for a DP level, he's got you got to get somebody who can do both. Essentially, I mean, right. not just. I mean, you're ne- you're never going to get. I, I won't say never, but you're rarely going to get somebody who's going to just slam people and be the string puller, maestro, perfect passing guy. But you can get a much better blend than what we've had in the past. Maybe mm-hmm. we've tended to have either the the ankle breaking kind of guy or the passing guy. And they weren't extremely great at the other thing. So if you did go for a DP there, that's where you'd have to like find that perfect player. So David, would you say the LAFC midfield is a model we'd want to look at? Well, which iteration of the LAFC midfield? Because they Acosta and Ariaga. I mean, that's pretty good. Uh, they play a very different style and very different system than we do. Right. You know, um, love Ilya. He gets a lot more cover, um, especially playing next to Kellen Acosta. Yeah. And I like Kellen Acosta. You know, he's a, for MLS, is like a pretty solid player. Um, I don't know that I would want to change our tactics. I think with Tommy and Kinda and Remy rotating through those three guys for the two, um, like attacking eight spots that we have, the dual eights, I think that's pretty solid. And I would, prefer to have the single holding mid. Um, we talked about this last week, somebody who kind of like Ilya would back in you know 2018, drop between the center backs, allow the center backs to flare out wide, uh, allow us to push Caden Pierre and Logan and Denbe forward to kind of almost function more like wing, wing backs in the attack. Um, I've really liked Caden Pierre this year, being able to carry the ball, like progress the ball forward. Um, and in Denbe too. And so I don't know that I would want to, trade our system for LA's system. Uh, but it's tough to look at their roster and not like a lot of the guys that they've got. They've got their scouting and recruitment. John Thornton's done an awesome job out there. I think a lot of their guys could fit into the system pretty well as it is. I mean, Acosta could fit right into this midfield, I think. And if you look at the game this past Sunday, Seattle was playing with a 19-year-old and a 20-year-old as their two holding mids. And you know, that's an awful big ask for them in this game to perform. And obviously, I think we won the midfield battle pretty convincingly. Yeah, but they only let in one goal in the, at the end. 
Yeah, I think that has more to do with Stefan Fry than Josh Atencio. (laughs) You know, Josh Atencio is a really nice player. Uh, He's got a lot of potential and and a big future, but Eric Tommy made him look every bit, you know, 19, 20 years old. Yeah, for sure. We were on this subject talking about the, the new deal with Apple and a topic I've wanted to talk about uh, is I don't know if you guys noticed all of the broadcast team was seemingly getting sentimental and saying goodbyes this week. And, and it is genuinely, I don't even think they know. I don't think Nate entirely knows everything that is happening yet. So that's why there's a lot of like a lot of stuff in limbo. That's why no one, you're not really like hearing a lot about it. Um, No one knows like what to say yet about it. So it is, it's, it's an interesting, an interesting side of this, but it does appear like we're going to lose our, our local broadcast team, which is a very sad thing. Our, uh, our friend of the, po- friend of the, po- friend of the pod, <laughs> former pod member, Ali, uh, will, will, you know, I don't, I don't know what is going to happen there, but, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's sad to see that go. We liked seeing her. We liked Nate and Jake. My plan personally is to steal Jake. I'm 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 hoping we're gonna steal Jake and he's gonna be on our show next year. So that's my goal here. I'm gonna I'm gonna snipe him. So I definitely <laughs> agree. It's sad. Um, yeah, of course, Allie's been positioning herself, you know, for this. She's got options. Jacob's obviously looking at you know a job oh, yeah. within sporting. Nate has other options, so that's all good. But yeah, definitely sad to to see them uh, splitting up. Yeah, Allie's been doing uh she's done a couple of the play-by-play on NWSL games. Right. Yeah. Uh she actually did the last one for Casey Current. <laughs> Great one. Um, but, you know, and you can see her growing in that role too. Uh, and Jake's already basically transitioned to sporting. He was he was already transitioned into the technical team, uh, scouting and helping out at practice and stuff like that. So I think that's where his interest actually really lies. So I, mean, I don't know if they'll let him be a member of the pod with that insight, but I, <laughs> I really hope he would join us a lot. You yes. miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. No, I, we, we, we're going to take that shot, man. In fact, I mean, this is an open invitation to Jake to come on the pod like at like forever. So, well, actually the last time I spoke with Jake, he was, he was seemingly annoyed that Thad didn't invite him on more often. <laughs> like every time I see Thad, I'm like, Hey, just let me know. I'm ready whenever. And then, and then, you know, the season was over. We only had him on a couple of times. I don't know if he actually phrased it that way that often, but maybe he did. Yeah. I'm going to steal him. We're doing it. All right. Well, thinking of, uh, you know, goodbyes, of course, the FS1 people blew the whole Zuzi thing out of proportion. But uh, did you guys get a feel from Zuzi's walk around the pitch or what? Yeah, I guess you're he's you're referring to that he made a decision that not all players do, which is to walk while being subbed out around the around the pitch. Um, That's the closest side he was to. But yeah. Yeah, that is actually the rule they're supposed to follow. Yeah. Right, right. It is a new rule. I guess that was like a couple of years ago that has been in place, but it uh, it seems to rarely happen. So yes, there was some suggestion that he maybe took a longer route, a, a slightly longer route, the scenic route to uh, to maybe say some goodbyes or whatever. I don't know. I, I know nothing about this. We I have no inside info. Uh, we, Thad, we've talked, we've what did he about say in the post game interview? He made it sound like he was going to be here next year to me. Yeah, so sure. Did I it mean, sound like he was going to be in Kansas City or that he was just going to keep playing? 
he talked about, you know, what building this team for the future was doing, uh, stuff like that. And so it just, it sounded like he was here. What was the exact words he said? uh, Not done. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I tried to catch him at the end too, with a very like, direct question and he did kind of evade that one a little bit yeah he did <laughs> now what can't about remember the Roger? exact words if this is rogers last year he didn't do anything of the like at all so i thought that was interesting i think yeah but that's the i think that's just the difference in roger though right yeah. i think he if was he was given, gone he would just be gone applause, right what's that he was given quite an applause yeah from yeah yeah Right now, I would lay pretty even money that both of them are back next year. Mm-hmm. But again, that's up to them, I think, more than it is sporting because I think Peter would want both of them back. It's just, it's the money of how much you pay them and how much you're going to count on them. Because Peter's mentioned like several times that he didn't want to count on Roger as much as he had to this year. But when people kept getting hurt, he played Roger a lot more. And then towards the end of the year, he was doing a lot better with subbing him in and out. But the more he transitions into the Nagamura role, you know, I think Paolo's last year, he didn't play all that much. He had a like a couple of really big moments. That didn't he score like a stoppage time winner against Vancouver, I think. But he only played, I think he played less than a thousand minutes that year. Um, and Roger on a team friendly deal cost wise for maybe a one or a one and one. Same for Zussi, something that's not going to be crazy expensive. There's a, a lot of value in veteran leadership, and you just got to hope that Vermees is going to, um, you know, continue to to transition the younger guys into the into the roster. Yeah, and people always will say this. You know, Peter needs to play the young guys, or they need to transition. Peter's going to play the people who he thinks will give him the win in the next game, whether it's a young guy, an old guy. If it kills somebody, that's who's going to play. So, David, back to your original question: Where would you uh, want the DP center back? Or well, without having uh, Jacob Peterson's ability to scout players all over the world, uh, I think I'd rather spend it in the midfield. Okay. Um, just looking around the league, there are very few DPs on the back line. Um, the ones I think Toronto had one, uh, it's Carlos Salcedo, a guy. And I think that was catastrophic if I remember right. Um, you know, it, it's not, it's not good value. Um, there's a lot of now, you know, statistical analysis on everything on, you know, you have to pay extra money to generate goals that the bulk of a team's money gets spent on forwards and attacking midfielders it's easier to find replacement level or slightly above replacement level players the further back the pitch you go, um, which is why you don't see DP goalkeepers. You don't see a lot of DP uh, wingbacks or fullbacks. I think Vancouver might have had the last DP at fullback. Um, I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but he wasn't particularly good. And it kind of throws chaos into your roster construction when you've got that many resources allocated to a position that doesn't necessarily return the same value as like a 10 or, um, you know, somebody on the forward line. So if it's between center back and defensive mid, probably want a defensive mid, somebody who's going to, you know, be contributing in the goals added category. 
you know, almost like Fontes. If Fontes was faster, I'd be really curious to see what he could do at the six. So it's interesting. Look at the two guys that are making, you know, a million plus on the back line. You got Izzy, you got Fontes. And of course you got Russell, you got Polito. Um, who else is near that amount to salary wise? Is there anybody else? So we already have two center backs that are making a million plus, which is, you know, in the top five in our roster. So that's interesting. Well, you know, they, like, I think the, the idea behind Fontes making that much money is because oh, yeah, Ramiz sure. expected him to contribute like he did last year, right? When he first got signed and last year he led the league in goals added. Uh, so, but he's, he was signed for his offense, not his defense. Yeah. The, uh, it's those, it's Polito, Russell, Fontes, and Izzy are the guys who are all making over a million. And then Kinda is at 900,000, Voltaire's at 800,000, and then Jean Is is our next highest play, paid player. Yeah, 650, I think. Yeah. Which is a little weird, but, <laughs> and, and that's where the transfer fee comes into it, prorated across, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm interested to see where Agata and Tommy hit. We won't find that out until, what, mid-season next year, but interesting to see where they're at. We, we should find out. They usually do a mid-season and an end-of-season salaries, or at least they had in the past. I don't know if they did last year, but... Hmm. So I was hoping one would be coming out right year, now. I thought, so maybe, maybe, we'll see. Oh, maybe, they, maybe they've already got the two out and I just missed it, so... Yeah. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Let's go ahead and shift gears that I know you guys will probably be doing a keeping current episode soon on the recently re- released Yates reports on the NWSL. Uh, yeah. But I, I obviously wanted to talk about that here uh, at least a little bit um, painted, obviously a very ugly picture, uh, including sexual misconduct among a, a whole slew of, of, of very uh, gross things. Um, coaches and and other powers that be. So, yeah, I, I just wanted to hear your initial reaction to this. That I know some of it was obviously like kind of expected, but now that it is official from a former attorneys general, uh, yeah, just what, what what do you think about all this? You're you're right that a lot of it was expected. Some of it, a, a large chunk of it, was known already in one way, shape, or form. But the way that she led that report was just, I mean, it was like a, it was like a horror film or a, a, I don't know how a better way to describe it, but it was like she led with how somebody was being sexually abused, like right in the first paragraphs. And it was yeah, I mean, probably I, really shocking to a lot of people. Right. Um, yeah. P- painted a picture was, was words chosen carefully there because she kind of she did the way it was all presented. It, it really does paint a very ugly picture and as incredibly horrible as it was that they, they focused on three coaches and there's been three other coaches that they could have focused on, but they decided that they just can't keep going. So they had to basically just cut it off at three. 
because there's been other coaches with other issues. Uh, I don't think as much the sexual abuse side of it, but I'm not totally sure. I can't remember for sure on every one of them, but so much of this, I'm, I mean, cause I, I was following the league, you know, from the get go. And there's a lot of stuff that early on, it was like, Oh, there was coaches that don't have full licenses or there's uh bad training facilities. And it was just, you know, cutting corners, trying to get a league off the ground and, you know, ignoring a lot of stuff. But these are things that should never be ignored no matter what. I mean, I can, I can, I can accept like, okay, they, they practice on a, a substandard training field for a year or two. You know what I mean? I, I, that's okay. That sucks, but that's just what, that's the cost of doing business when you start a league sometimes. But what, but things that happened back then and then continued. And then with coaches that owners knew these, these coaches did these things and said, okay, well, yeah, we're not going to retain you. And then they moved to another team in the league. How the, how the hell do you allow that to happen? I mean, I just, well, the, on that same line, the one that I don't know why this part like got to me as well, but the part about Jill Ellis, like her, her impact on this of, knowing what was going on in this league while still making it clear, you know, and I assume it's, you know, as an effort to support the overarching, you know, U S soccer effort to support the domestic league. Uh, she was in an effort. I, and I assume that effort was making it clear to the players that if they didn't play in this league, that they might lose their spot on the national team. And so that, that part, it just, it just shows you like how far, it went and how difficult of a situation it was for so many of them to get out of, because even someone, you know, like Jill Ellis, that is from the outside almost, you know what I mean? And, and is obviously a woman, you would think that she could be an ally there. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's one reason yeah. it's scary to me. Um, and I, and I haven't really even read the part about Jill Ellis, uh, but the former commissioner, Lisa Baird, she knew this stuff. Right. And, um, you know, like U.S. soccer pushing players to stay in the league. U.S. soccer was paying for the league, so that was kind of trying to keep it propped up with forcing players to stay in the league. So I, I do get that, but I don't know how many of them knew the other stuff going on. And, you know, I mean, I, I know somebody had talked about one of these coaches as a good friend. And I was talking, again, I can't go into a ton of detail about this at the moment, but they were talk I was talking with somebody today about that, and they talked about how this coach was a good friend, but how would you know that this person was doing this stuff? Right. You know, you could say, okay, yeah, you know, it's somebody I shared a beer with, I coached against, or, you know, I talked about tactics with or whatever. And, you know, but how would you know that this person did that stuff? But when, when these players have reported things and I know how hard it is, I know how scary it is. And when they've reported stuff, it, if it wasn't acted upon it, it, um, diminish the likelihood that somebody else would make the next uh reporting so there's so many people in this whole situation that that i mean we've they portland announced two people were fired today uh but these are two people who shouldn't have been on the payroll for for five years exactly yeah well and merritt paulson still got a job you know i mean he owns the team but it he enabled all of it yeah. And he stepped away. He put somebody else in charge of it for right now, quote, but that's unquote. just cover. He, that person will just do whatever he says. What, what frustrates me, you know, and I'm not the biggest NWSL follower, you know, on 
who writes for our site or anything, although I am a big fan. Um, but there's a news story that broke out of Texas, and I don't know if any of you guys saw this, but out of the college, women's college game. And it just shows how kind of pervasive this is in the entire culture of like women's soccer in this country. And it's disgusting. Um, but, you know, there was this women's college coach uh, out of Texas who got arrested for a DUI and had asked her player, her players to help her pay her bail money. Yeah. Uh, was like encouraging the women's players to hook up with the men's players. And she was hooking up with the men's players, giving alcohol to minors. She was cheating. Like she, she got kicked out of a game and then came back in a disguise and then got kicked out again. And it was coaching via a walkie talkie recruited a, somebody from a player from Uruguay who wasn't even enrolled in school. Um, you know, encouraged her players to try and purposefully injure the other team's players. Um, and, you know, when, when stuff like that's happening in the college game, that's where all the players come from, from the NWSL is like, you know, it's, they still rely heavily on the draft and it's the, it's the whole culture and it's, it's really disappointing. It's really, it's really gross. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of add in and carry on with that. The, it's not just soccer. It's there's big scandals going with hockey Canada. There was huge scandals with American gymnastics. Um, uh, just you can go on and on and on. And obviously most of these are men abusing women, but it's not strictly that it, that, cause you're talking about that coach in Texas, but it's places where people have power over other people and they have no checks and balances. And I, I can't imagine if there were some checks and balances on these coaches that maybe they do something slightly bad once they get caught, they get punished, and then they never do it again because they know there's checks and balances. But when they don't get punished in any way, shape, or form, when people above them don't punish them, um, it, it just goes on and on. And it's it's there's too much in culture that people can get away with stuff. And I mean, we, we can't solve all of the world's problems here, but I'm just, I'm going to, because we're going to cry on the shades of blue suckers. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, it was a few years ago. There was a situation here in Lee summit where I live and there was a, a local soccer coach that was caught with uh, child pornography on his camera because he got arrested somewhere. Cause he talked his way into a spot where he wasn't supposed to be. And cops asked if they could look at his camera and they found child pornography on it. And what it was, was he was videotaping. He was videoing his daughter's soccer team changing into swimsuits at his house. And he ended up going to, I hope he's still in love and worth. I hope he's never out again, wherever he's at. But I, I knew this because I'd met him. I knew this because I was in Lee Summit. I knew this because I was around the Lee Summit Soccer Association. And I knew this because some of the kids from his team came to the older team in my daughter's pod. And so I saw these kids and they're like, you know, ashamed and shocked. And, you know, they're, they're like just little teen girls who these things have happened to. And they didn't even know it. They weren't being touched. They weren't even doing that. But just the shame that they felt from all this other stuff. I, again, we, I can't solve everything, but anybody who allows this to go on, anybody who doesn't take a stand when this happens, and, I, and I'm not talking about the people who 
are abused because I mean, that's tough sometimes, a lot of times, every time to report it and find help. But when they do, anybody who doesn't defend them and go to bat for them, and there are some women's national team players from the past that have had some issues with this also. In fact, I mean, one of the coaches that was in this report was actually dating a former national team player that was on his team. Um, it's There's just so much wrong in all of this, but anybody who doesn't stand up for it, they need to lose their jobs. They need to be shamed. And people who have been involved in this have some of them have went on to other sports. Uh, Dan Flynn is in charge of the curling association, U.S. Curling Association. He shouldn't be around any sport, anything where he has influence over people. The former FC Kansas City was mentioned in the report. And, you know, obviously, I, I think a, that had been reported on quite a bit. I Yeah, it was, it was really a long time ago. I didn't hear any of that. That was a long time ago. And I only mention it just because, you know, part of what they were mentioned for in there was like the training facility and the fields. And so when you just, when you put that next to what the KC current is now, that the juxtaposition is just, it is just astounding for what this team, what this team and this current franchise we have here yeah. has, has turned into. I was, I was actually kind of disappointed that they were pointing out Kansas city for that because there was other teams in the league that were having the same issues or similar issues, uh, you know, playing on youth soccer complexes and stuff like that, which there's still some of them playing in really terrible locations. Um, the, the stuff that the owners did early, that was inexcusable and stupid and juvenile. And, but I specifically asked quite a few players back then when that news broke, if they had ever done anything inappropriate to them. And every one of them said no. And I don't think, I think Vlaco would have killed them if they had actually hurt his players in any way, shape or form directly. Well, we go from the, that very dark subject to, at least we need to mention October 16th. Playoff starts in WSL, Houston Dash versus KC Current in Houston, right? In yeah. Houston. Yes, yes. October 16th. So it begins. Current uh, last game was in Louisville, and all they needed to get was a draw or a win, and even a couple other results would have helped them out. They could have finished anywhere from first to fifth. Uh, they were sitting in third, so a draw would have kept them in third, and they would have had a home playoff game first time since 2014. 2015, there was a NWSL home playoff game here, and they failed. They sucked. They, the captain got two yellows, and uh, so the resulting red. So they played the player down for a good chunk of the game at the end, and then they gave up a goal with literally the last few seconds of the game. So they kind of did themselves in there. So they got a tough game at Houston. And anybody want a road trip? Huh? Huh? I'm gonna be gone, so I cannot. I think well, that's kind of the hope. Did, the did they sp- one in three versus Houston this season? Good stat. I was gonna ask what the se- what the series record was. Robert yeah, one in three I think. with a good stat. Thank you, sir. Uh, mm-hmm. It is a good week for the Currents as well. Uh, they are breaking ground on the new stadium on Thursday, Berkeley Riverfront Park. I'm very excited about that. Uh, so yes, all all good things ahead for for that club. Um, any what have we what have we missed among KC soccer stuff this week, guys? Or just anything soccering culture? The uh, sticking on the women's soccer vein for a second, the U.S. women's national team plays in London 
this week uh, at Wembley, and it'll be the largest crowd ever for the the national team playing. Uh, potentially the largest crowd ever for women's soccer. I'm not totally sure on that. No, now that I said that, playing the the Lady Three Lions. Yep, Three Lady Lions. Is it which is the Three Lady Lions? Uh, okay, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty sweet. At Wembley, I like that. Yeah. Is Alex Morgan going to hit them with the tea time again? No, she's hurt. She's not did on the she, roster. Did she give that celebration to somebody else? Uh, there are speculations that somebody else will do it if they score. But yeah, they, it's they had a presser with a couple of the national team players yesterday after the Yates report had broken, and one of them was Becky Sauerbrunn, the team captain and former FC Kansas city player, a standout defender in any, every way, shape or form, smart, talented, everything. And I've never seen her so broken looking as, as that moment was watching that, re, that press conference. All right. I have to change my answer guys. The way they yes, do please the bring scores, us back up before the end of this podcast. <laughs> the I way they do the scores the of the current okay. website is weird. So they actually beat Houston twice in the Challenge Cup. In the regular season, they were one and one against them. I was thinking that you were wrong, but I didn't want yeah. to say that. The way for they sure. lay it out is weird. Yeah. But There's okay. a lot of things they do that's weird, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dad, say something prophetic and happy to end this podcast, please. Give the people what they want. Give them something happy. Man, that's tough right now. Let's see. Erling Holland. No, stop, 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 stop. Okay. You're the worst. You're the absolute worst. I, <laughs> you I like Holland. If you love this sport, I don't understand how you could not want to watch Manchester City play it at the highest level it could be played. Oh, and kick United's ass. I'm all for that. Everyone can get behind <laughs> United's ass. There we go. I'm ending it on that pod. Go, current. Has just been sent off. Some part of strong and all comes off. My fun buttings got me drinking. My fun buttings got me drinking. My fun buttings got me drinking. Give me a whiskey, winter gin. Anything to shake this foot I'm in. My fun buttings got me drinking. My fun buttings. Got me drinking. My foot got me drinking.